Good morning to you. If you have your Bibles this morning, and of course I hope that you do, I invite you to turn me to the book of Jude. Looks like we are probably within three or four weeks uh, away from finishing Jude, but kind of like a contractor telling you got two weeks left on your renovation, it could be another six weeks. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, this morning, as you turn to Jude, I invite you to go ahead and just kind of loosen up your Bible a little bit, flip those pages as, uh, as we have been lately, especially we'll be in many places in uh, God's Word to help us understand what's happening in Jude this morning. Uh, I am personally a little, little excited that we kind of get to shift gears a little bit in Jude. Uh, these past month or so, we have been uh, beating up false teachers. And uh, if you're a false teacher, you deserve to be beat up, so no apologies there. Uh, and Jude has been walking us through the characteristics uh, of these false teachers and the condemnation that is waiting for them uh, and all that is wrong with their, uh, with their, with their life, with their, uh, with their teaching, and with all of this, uh, recognizing that they have crept into the church, as we see there in verse 4, uh, and just the, how the, um, they are to be rebuked. And so we've seen this very, very clearly. And so this morning, as we come to uh, our passage in verse 17, we're going to shift gears. Let's go ahead and read our passage, then we'll back up and uh, see what the Lord has for us. So Jude chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll go ahead and read it out of the, uh, from 17. We'll go and go through 22. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these people... Who calls, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others, <clears throat> excuse me, by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to gather as your people, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that you've already given us to sing with one another, Lord, uh, for to exalt Christ, to uh, to pray, Lord, trusting you and looking to Christ. And now as we open up your word, I pray that you would lead us, that you'd guide us through this word, that you'd speak to us that you would stir in us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, uh, our deep affections for Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and for this opportunity to continue in Jude. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at uh, at Jude 17, we do see this shift. Uh, Even more specifically, we see the the first command in the whole letter of Jude so far. Um, As we kind of go back to Jude, we see Jude introduce himself, introduces his motivations, he introduces why he's writing Jude, why he wanted to write something else, but instead he writes this letter because these false teachers have crept into the church. Uh, We see him call out these false teachers, we see all these things, but now as we get to the 17th uh, verse out of 25 verses, we get three quarters of the way done, now he rolls out his first command. That first command is remember, and we'll see uh, many commands as we finish the book of Jude, but he is now specifically addressing the church. Uh, He's been talking to the church. The church has been the audience the whole letter, but now he's saying, okay, now we have this information. Now that we've dealt with these false teachers, um, 
there are some things that I'm going to command you to do in the Lord, if you will. He is writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's not done talking about these ungodly apostates. He's going to continue in verse 17, 18, and 19. But then he's going to shift uh, to these commands of how we are to live uh, unto the Lord. And so, ultimately, what he's saying as we start in verse 17, considering all these things that are happening, considering all that's going on in the church, considering all the stuff of these false teachers, of these apostates, of these ungodly people, of these people, he is saying to press on. In your Bible, if it's like mine, it has kind of a heading here in this section called a call to persevere. And so this is a call uh, written by Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the church to persevere uh, in the midst of these difficult times with these difficult um, leaders who've crept into the church. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we introduced this uh, concept of triads. Uh, Jude, we said, is the original Southern Baptist preacher. He has his three points in his poem, it seems. And there are many times in, uh, so far in uh, Jude, the first from, uh, from verse 1, even as he talks about himself, as he describes himself uh, as a servant, of Jesus, a brother of James and Jude. And so he gives his name, his position, and his relationship to Christ. And so we see all throughout Jude so far these triads. Uh, but we haven't had one, <clears throat> excuse me, since verse, um, I think since early on, about verse 12 or 13. Uh, but now we come back to a slew of triads. As we kind of finish uh, the book of Jude, we're going to see just in this text this morning, as we walk through four verses, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, we're going to see three more triads, uh, three more groups of three that Jude is using. And so it just shows us kind of how the Lord is using him, how he writes, and just how he helps us think through these things uh, as we look in these next uh, few places. And even a little more specifically, it's not necessarily a triad of Jude. We see that he puts kind of three points in these next few verses. Uh, we're going to see that he ultimately calls us to remember the word, to keep the faith, and to have mercy on others. And so in the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to walk through, is remembering the word, keeping the faith, and having mercy on others others and so uh so let's just kind of walk through uh here these next few verses as we'll just unpack what god's word has for us so it says here in verse 17 but you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus christ they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their their own ungodly passions it is these people and here's his first triad in this section it is these people who cause divisions worldly people devoid of the spirit and so here judas he's kind of transitioning he's been talking about these ungodly people and he's not completely done but he's he, he turns to the church and he says but you he's been talking about these people uh, for the past 10 verses but now he says but you but you, church, you, those who are truly believers, those who are the truly part of the, the bride of Christ, you are to do one thing, and here's his first command. You are to remember. But you, church, and not just remember, you must remember. It is imperative that it is that for you to remember. It is essential that you are to remember. So, so far, he's explained the, the motives and he's explained um, his own motives, the motives of the false teachers. But now he turns to the church. Now he turns to the true believers to command them and the Lord, to admonish them. And his first uh, commandment, if you will, his first point is to remember the word, to remember the word. 
And this is not just some imperative to recall information. It's not just saying, do you remember that day, you know, six months ago, two years ago, when you heard a sermon from one of the apostles? He's not just calling for, for factual recall. Uh, but instead, he is calling them to bring forth to the front of their mind, to bring into their heart, to bring into their conscience, to, to remember the teachings of the apostles. He's asking them to bring it to the front of their mind. To bring what to the front of their mind? He said, and he quotes here, They said to you, these apostles, there were predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they said, In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And he has done already, he quotes something that is not from Scripture. What he quotes is not directly from the New Testament, although he is quoting the apostles. And so there are many faults as to uh, where this quotation came from. It's not a direct quote from the New Testament. Uh, some would say it's possibly from another apostolic letter that, uh, that's not in the New Testament, not in our canon. Some would say it's possibly from oral tradition as they are... Uh, as we obviously don't have all the things the apostles said and preached and wrote, we don't, we don't have all of these things, and so it's possible from oral traditions. Uh, some would even say it's more of a summary statement of what we do see throughout the New Testament. And so let's go to one of those places, over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read all of chapter 3, and I'm going to read it pretty fast. So... If you, if you miss something, you have it in your Bible, and you can go back and read it more slowly this evening. But 2 Timothy 3, but I want us to see Paul is dealing with the same thing, different pastor, different elder, different context, different church, but the same truth. But 2 Timothy 3 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So, he went even a step further, about three steps further than Jude. And he really put some characteristics around these ungodly people who will show themselves in the end last time. And what does Paul say? Avoid such people. For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as that of, those, of these two men. And I just want to see his connection to Scripture here in verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, the same spirit as Jude, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In a verse that we quote often here at North Hills, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, no, that's a lot of verses to turn to for a reference. But the, the point is the same point that Jude is making. He turns to the people of God and says, but if you want to stand against these false teachers, if you want to stand against these apostates, if you want to be able to defend yourself and the church, then you must do one thing. You must remember. You must remember the word of God in order to refute these false teachers in order to refute these heresies that are creeping into the church. And the first century church was no different than the 21st century church. There are heresies and false teachings. There are, there are misunderstandings of Scripture, gross misunderstandings that happen every single day. We must fight those. We must refute, the, we must refute these. And we don't do so by our own limited understanding. We do so by the power of God's Word, by the predictions of the apostles by the words that were revealed to us by God Himself. And this is how we stand. By one, remembering the Word. By remembering the Word. Acts 20, 30. We won't turn there, but just a quick verse to say that Luke, as he is writing, he says, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. This is what we see today, people creeping into the church to make their own disciples, to draw men to what they are speaking, to what they are teaching. And Luke and Paul and Jude and so many others had the same message to the church, that is to remember the word to refute false teachers. So how do we defend against false teachers and false believers? By remembering the word. By remembering the word. How do we, so a few specific examples. How do we refute those who say that we are still under the law? We do so by remembering the word, by go, going to Galatians chapter 3. You can just jot these down, three specific examples for you. Galatians 3, 23 and 25 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So how do you refute the false teaching of, uh, of returning to the law? By remembering what God's Word says. How do we refute uh, those who teach salvation belongs uh, to those who choose God on their own? We refute that not by our understanding, not by our experience, not by our feelings, but by remembering the Word. We can go to John chapter 6, verse 44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And you skip down to a few verses, verse 65. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless, he has been, unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So how do we refute those who look to salvation comes from themselves by the word of God? Go to Ephesians 1 and Romans 9. Third example, how do, how do we refute those who say that Jesus is not God? Again, by remembering the word. John 8, 58 simply says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And so how do we refute those who have a, 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 a unbiblical view of God's revelation? How do we refute those, whether it's intentional or unintentional, who become false teachers? We do so by remembering the word. This is how we refute every form of heresy and every form of false teaching. Every form of misunderstanding God's word is by knowing God's word and remembering God's word, recalling God's word in our life. Jude, Paul, Luke, and all the apostles, they all emphasize the same truth to remember God's word. And so as Jude says, but you, church, you must remember, beloved. And I love how he calls them beloved again, just like he did there in verse 1. Beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they said to you, in these last times there will be scoffers, follow their own ungodly passions. And are these people who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And we can refute those who cause divisions. We can refute those who are worldly people. We can refute those who are devoid of the Spirit by remembering the Word. So not only do we remember the Word, secondly, we keep the faith. The second verb here in our text the second command if you will is found in verse 21 we'll continue there verse 20 but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the holy spirit verse 21 keep yourselves in the love of god waiting for the mercy of our lord jesus christ that leads to eternal life that leads to eternal life so the first first point that jude is making is remember the word the second one that he's making is ultimately keep the faith Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep your holy faith. This is going to also command us to build up on it. So keep the faith. Now before we really dive into what it means there in verse 21, there's an interesting contrast in Jude. In Jude 21 and Jude 1. It is the faith being kept for us or by us. And so if you go back to Jude 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now that word for, if you remember from the very beginning of Jude, we said also means by. And so Jude 1 says that, that, our, that we are kept by Jesus Christ. But now Jude, in verse 21, says we are to keep the faith ourselves. So which is it? Do we keep the faith or is the faith kept for us by Jesus? The answer is yes. The answer is both of them. The answer is both. Is that, that we keep the faith, but Jesus keeps the faith for us. And really, Jude makes it very clear by, we'll call it a keeping sandwich. He starts Jude with saying that we are kept by Jesus Christ, and he ends Jude in verse 24, we'll get to in a few weeks. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. So it is Christ who ultimately keeps us in the faith. It is not our ability. And this is what's so important for us to hear as you walk through a topic like this, is that it is not up to us to keep us in the faith. It is the work of jesus christ alone and so here in jude we find another display of the tension of god's sovereignty and man's responsibility if you're new with us and we talk about this tension every so now and then tension is not a bad thing it just means when two truths are held together there are two truths that they, they seem to be in contrast, but they're not in contrast at all. Because guess how many contrasts, guess how many contradictions, rather, exist in these 66 books of the Bible? You want to guess? 
Take two fingers, this one and this one, and you put them together. That's how many? Zero. There are no contradictions in God's Word. But there are these tensions, there are these truths that that may seem to be in contrast, but they are not. Scripture is abundantly clear that salvation belongs to the Lord. Abundantly clear. Both the overall work of salvation through Jesus Christ that we come to and remember every single Sunday at the Lord's table and each individual's calling and saving is initiated and empowered by the Father because of the Son through the Spirit of God. And so let's not forget that it is Christ who saves us. It is Christ who keeps us. And it's Christ who sustains us. Yet, We have an actual role in this process. We have an actual role in in how God saves us by His Holy Spirit through the work of Christ. We respond in faith. We look to Christ recognizing that we are helpless, pitiful sinners who deserve nothing but death, hell, and the grave. And we look to Christ as our only source of hope and our only hope in this life. By His grace, through faith, we are saved. And so there is this this picture we see throughout Scripture of this tension of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And they work hand in hand together. And this is what Jude has in mind here. That he books in, he bookends his letter with God's role, with Christ's sovereignty in keeping us, because Christ keeps us not because we're keepable. He keeps us not because we're good enough. He doesn't keep us uh, because of anything we've done. He keeps us for his good pleasure. And he will lose none, scripture tells us. It is Jesus who keeps us from falling. It is Jesus who keeps us from failing. And anyone relying on their own ability to walk in righteousness will fail. Anyone who walks on their own power, their own righteousness, their own efforts, their own good works will fall every single time. It is Jesus who has divinely, distinctly, and definitively keeps us. Jesus divinely, distinctly, and definitively keeps us few passages that we'll turn to to make sure there's no doubt in our mind go to first corinthians chapter one just a couple verses first corinthians we're going to be in first thessalonians and philippians just to give you a heads up but first corinthians 1 8 back up to verse 7 so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ who jesus will sustain you or keep you to the end guiltless in the day of our lord jesus christ how many here are guiltless in your life none but christ will keep us god is faithful paul says by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that just a rich and beautiful passage? That God calls us and He keeps us, not because of who we are. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians, Paul, again, of course, a few books over, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 
Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you mostly as you do some of it. No. May He sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And oh, aren't those some beautiful five words. He will surely do it. So who calls us and who keeps us? It is Christ. Then one more passage in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Right next to Ephesians there. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6. Paul says this. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Do you sometimes, church, feel like you're not done yet? Do you sometimes feel like a work in progress? Do you ever feel like you've arrived? Hopefully not, because you have not. But He's not done with us. But He is going to be done with us. He's going to bring the work that He started in us and the work that He fanned the flame in, and He's going to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And so how can we know that Christ keeps us? How, does we, how, how can we know that he, that he is the one who does the work in us? By remembering the Word. That we are to keep the faith. And Christ does this in us. One author says it well. And I want to just to quote him. He says this. Says, Those who trust in Christ remain in the faith because of the persevering work of God the Father. Nevertheless, the promise that God will keep his own does not nullify the response of believers, the responsibility of believers to persevere, to persevere in the faith. God keeps his own, and yet believers must keep themselves in God's love. I love this last line. The grace of God does not cancel out the need for believers to exert all of their energy to remain in God's love. Now, as we've seen clearly in Scripture, we don't exert the energy. We don't even have the desire to remain in God's love, to remain in the faith, as Jude points us here, out of a need of, of we don't, if we don't, we're going to be left behind. We do this because Christ keeps us and Christ loves us, and therefore we desire as God's people to remain in the love of God and to be kept in the love of God. Therefore, we are called to actively keep the faith. As he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And briefly, I love it doesn't say keep yourself. It says keep yourselves. He is talking to the church. This act, this activity uh, of of, of walking in the faith and keeping the faith and, and growing in the faith and being more and more conformed to the image of Christ, this is not a, an isolated event. This is not something that we do ourselves. This is not even something we do just with ourselves and Christ in us. This is something God has called us to do with the church. So if you think that you can do life, you think if you can walk in faith with Christ, if you think you can keep the faith by yourself apart from the church, 
then we misunderstand the church or misunderstand God's word. We are called to actively keep the faith and we are called to actively keep the faith with others. So we are called to actively keep the faith and we are called to corporately keep the faith. So how? How do we do this? Jude just says, just do it. Just be better. No, he gives us a couple of ways. He gives us three ways, actually, in which we are to keep the love of God. And he does this, and here's another fancy uh, Greek grammar principle. He does this using instrumental, instrumental participles. These are, this is a fancy way to describe words that show how something is done. There's three of these in this text. I'll give you a hint. They all end in ing. Building. Waiting. I missed one. Praying. There we go. I can't see. Building. Praying. And waiting. And so he gives us three ways here. We're only going to get into two of these this morning. He gives us three ways in which we are to keep the faith. The first one is that, found in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So these describe how we keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we keep the faith? First of all, we do so by building yourselves up in the faith. Now the faith here, um, in, in the faith in view in this particular passage, refers to Scripture and all doctrine that relates to the gospel. It is the faith that points us to Jesus. So it says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith in the way that you understand what it means to look to Christ, to trust Him, what it means that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. What we call the gospel. So as we understand scriptures, we understand doctrines, we understand theology, he says, build yourselves up in that. In this pursuit of knowing Christ more, grow in that, Jude is saying through the Holy Spirit. Go back to 1 Corinthians with me for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3.10. Paul puts some more words around this to help, help us understand what it means to, to be built up in faith. 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So it says, anyone who is trusting in their own works, it will be burned up. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a lot going on in that passage, but I want us to see that it is a process of being built up. It is a, as we live this life until Christ returns, until he returns to complete us, until he turns to returns to bring us into eternity and heaven with him, then we are to be built up in the faith. We are to grow in our faith. We are to grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to look to scripture and to be conformed more to the image of Christ. We have an active role in being built up in the faith. 
The Christian life is not a passive life. Christ has done all the work. He has done all the, the work needed to make us righteous. And we know that, we understand that, but He's not done so that we may just sit on the sidelines. So may we build ourselves up, not by our own effort, but by looking to Christ and trusting Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. We often don't make it this far in Ephesians. But Ephesians 2, start by verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into, check this out, a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And so as we are being built up in the faith, and as we're building ourselves up in our most holy faith, and we're building ourselves up to keep ourselves in the love of God, It does so so we can grow and become more like Christ and also so that God may use us. We are a vessel. We are His building. We are His structure. And He is building us up as a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So even more reason that we should be actively growing in our faith, actively being more like Christ, that we may be used in the service of our King. Believers cannot and will not Stay stagnant. That is not the call of the believer. That is not a reality of those who are in Christ because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Life is in us. The Spirit is inside of us. And so we will desire to grow in the Lord. We will desire to be built up in the Lord. We will grow by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. If you feel that you're not growing in your walk with the Lord, look to Jesus. You don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't have a mentality of just do better or do more. You look to Christ because it is Christ through the Spirit who will give you the strength to even desire to be built up. That we may keep ourselves in the love of God. As we do, we remember that Christ is the treasure. We look to His Word and we are reminded of the good news of Christ. So in order not to be shortchanged by next week, as we're going to continue to look at these three things that ultimately point us to keeping ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll continue this next week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a chance to open your word, Lord. And I thank you for a chance to to be reminded this morning of what you have done for us. I thank you for a chance to be reminded, Lord, that we're not just passive participants, Lord, but we are you allow us to be actively engaged in the building up of our faith and in keeping in your love. 
So help us, Lord, to understand what that means by your spirit. Help us today to desire to be built up by you and for you. As we continue this morning, as we sing, as we come to the communion table, Lord, as we have an opportunity to give, may all of these be done for your glory and for your great name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.